Today's reading is from Matthew, chapter 5, verses 1 to 3, and it leads us into the Beatitudes. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down, and his disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, and said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Nothing wrong with the old NIV. Uh, It's a bit more literal actually than the NLT. This St Andrews is God's word. Gracious Lord, as we come to kickstart off this sermon series over the summer, the Jesus Manifesto, we ask that your spirit would quicken your word, would enliven it to our hearts. May indeed I decrease, you increase in our hearts and lives, and may this morning's message, which is looking at the themes of the Sermon of the Mount, may it resonate in our lives and prepare us Uh, for this coming season of messages. In Jesus' name, amen. On February the 21st, 1848, Karl Marx released his Communist Manifesto, a document uh, that he and Engels, they sort of were a bit of a tag team, uh, other writings would change the 20th century. Even today, I was reading that President Xi of the leader of China, a leader of over 1 billion people, is encouraging his Politburo to go all the way back Uh, Marxist writings is like their Bible. He's encouraging his Politburo to go back to the Bible, their Bible, uh, and reread all those uh, writings. Uh, And so uh, there's still some people today who want to see uh, the world conform to the vision that Marx had. So while Marx's writings are at points unbelievably complex, uh, the basic premise of his manifesto is easy enough to understand. He produced it for for the laity. The world is separated into different classes fighting for control for power. There's the oppressed and the oppressors. And for Marx, he particularly focused on economic power of the land-owning, ruling aristocracy and factory owners, and the workers who were to overthrow them and kill them. Later, Marxist theories have added races uh, and sexual uh, identities and so forth between oppressed and oppressors. But for Marx, it was the original Marx, it was the economic groups. And this is what he says. Uh, The history of existing society is the history of class struggles. The freeman, the slave, the patrician, the plebeian, lord, serf, and guildmaster, and journeyman, in a word, oppressor and oppressed, stood in constant opposition to one another, carried on an interrupted, uh, now hidden, uh, once hidden, now open fight that each time ended either in revolutionary reconstitution of a society at large or in the common ruin of the contending classes. Let the ruling classes tremble at the communist revolution. The workers have nothing to lose but their chains. They have a world to win. Uh, Professor Mark Kramer from the Davis uh, Centre, that's in Harvard University, uh, a book called The Black Book, suggests the total number of people who died up to 1994 uh, under communist regime, a natural deaths is upward of 80 million, no, 80 to 94 million. So more than 80 million deaths in a class struggle for the 20th century. A struggle that continues for those that have sympathy with Marx. It's going on today, now race or sexual identities. You sort of see some of these ideas sort of permeated the education system, you know, trying to decolonize oppressive, patriarchal, heteronormative and white privileged structures. Uh, Karl Marx today. So Karl Marx's manifesto with its opposition to God and religion, his vision of seeing different people's groups contesting against each other in the pursuit of power changed the world. I think for the worse, personally, but it changed the world. Well, 1800 years before the Communist Manifesto, Jesus released 
his manifesto. And Jesus was aiming to change the world through it. The Sermon on the Mount is the Jesus manifesto. And this, over the summer, we're going to be looking at what his manifesto was. And so we look at the text here. One day as he saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples gathered around him and he began to teach them. We're going to focus particularly just on those two verses. Sounds very sort of innocuous verses, doesn't it? Not a lot of meat there in that passage. But Matthew is filling that up with details that's aiming to get the listener. So as the Bible Project say, says, the Matthew wrote his gospel first and primarily for the Jewish people, right? And he places Jesus as the Messiah, of course, but not only that, but the new and better Moses. In fact, there are some indications he portrays Jesus as the new and better Abraham, David, and Joseph. He gives all these Old Testament figures and then puts Jesus uh, above them all. Now, stay with me here. It's important you get this understanding for, to understand the implications of the manifesto. These parallels as Jesus as a symbolic new and better Moses, a fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophecies, it's all throughout Matthew. Right? Now, remember, for Matthew's Jewish audience... Moses is their top dude. There's no one more important than Moses. So for Matthew to sort of say that Jesus is a new and better Moses, he's, he's giving his teachings and bringing it. He's the Messiah. He's the, he's the fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophecy. This is a huge thing. And in the particular with the Sermon on the Mount, you get to see the Moses-Jesus parallels come out. Uh, Jesus, Matthew prepares the way for Jesus being this new and better Moses by the fact of the John the Baptist who says, I'm not worthy to carry his sandals. He's preparing the way, speaking in. Matthew, uh, Jesus has already been in Egypt. He's come out. He's been baptized. And there's all these little parallels. And then comes in this text where he says he went up the mountainside and sat down. And that term, went up the mountainside, is a exact phrase that's mentioned three times in the Greek New Old Testament. And that is those exact words are the exact words when Moses went up the mountainside and received the Ten Commandments. So to a non-Jewish audience, this probably loses its power. It doesn't resonate. I get it. But for the Jewish audience... It's preparing the listeners for saying that Jesus has gone up Mount Sinai and he's about to bring the equivalent of the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments was huge in the Old Testament, right? And then the, the term uh, sat down is screaming. In the Jewish Talmud, they picture Moses, had, which was produced at the time before Jesus, a lot of the Talmud writings. It says that when Moses was up there, he sat down and received the teaching. In the actual uh, Old Testament Hebrew, it's a little more amb ambiguous. But remember, Jesus, Matthew is speaking to the Jewish audience. And by saying that Jesus sat down, he's giving all these hints that this here is a new and better Moses. And the sermon is going to be his teaching is uh, going to be a new and better, a fulfillment of the Old Testament, a new and better teaching, pivotal stuff. And so one thing to, re to remember when you have a look at this, is, is Matthew is saying the Sermon on the Mount is going to be key teachings for Jesus. So it's only a slight stretch to say the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' top teaching according to Matthew. Now we of course know that all of God's word is inspired and reliable, but Matthew is preparing the listeners for saying the Sermon on the Mount is key. And of course I think we know that. 
If, if you were to ask a Christian, what is Jesus' most famous sermon? Most Christians would say the sermon on the... Yeah. And so Matthew's agreeing with you, basically. This is Jesus' key sermon. Right? So Jesus the Messiah, who is the new and better Moses, is about to bring his key teaching. Teaching that is just as important... All right, more important, but it's like in the Old Testament, the Ten Commandments, the Sermon on the Mount is the equivalent for that for the New Testament, for the New Covenant. All right, this is going to be absolutely pivotal. And that's this whole thing. He's aiming to grab our ears and attune them to the centrality of the Sermon on the Mount. Do you guys get that with me? All right. Two, the Jesus manifesto is for his disciples. Have you ever looked? There are the crowds. Jesus has been teaching the crowds, and the crowds do come up the mountainside, but it's the disciples that Jesus, that Matthew mentions are sitting around him. And so Jesus' sermon is first and foremost for those who are followers of Jesus Christ. Of course, there is the invitation for the crowds to join the revolution, to actually see Jesus as the Messiah and to follow him. But this sermon is for his disciples. So are you a follower of Jesus Christ? The Sermon on the Mount is written for you to obey and to follow. Three, Jesus was aiming to build a countercultural movement. Remember, this is his manifesto. This is his revival. All right, so Sermon on the Mount is so radical because the church and Christians so often, and I include myself in this, we're conformed by the culture around us rather than being salt and light, a countercultural force. Instead of being a witness of a different kingdom and a different culture, we lose our difference. We don't reflect God's values to those around us. A famous Anglican whom I really love is John Stott. And he's uh, in the UK, actually, Margaret Van Ginkel was in her church for a num- his church for a number of years. He says this, It is urgent that we not only see but feel the greatness of this tragedy, that to the, ch- the extent that the church is conformed by the world and the, and the two communities appear, that's not Christians and non-Christians, appear to the onlookers to be merely two versions of the same thing, the church is contra- contradicting its true identity. No comment could be more hurtful to the Christian than the words, but you are no different than anybody else. All right, so the, one of the key things to realize is that the Sermon on the Mount is all about contrast. You've heard it said, says Jesus, but I tell you. So time after time, Jesus, the pagans do this, but you're to do this, right? And the, the Jewish leaders, they say this, but I tell you that. And you get to see these contrast after contrast. And he's actually building and saying, if you want to join my revolution, you want to follow me, then this is the manifesto. This is the way the world is, but if you follow me, this is the way to go. For example, he says, you've heard it said, don't murder. But I tell you, deal with anger and bitter and unforgiving heart. If you hate someone in your heart, you have murdered them in your heart. Today is the day you need to forgive your family members. Today is the day to let go of bitterness. This is the level. Or he talks about sexual ethics. Now, Judaism was pretty high already in comparison to the Roman world. Well, Jesus doubles down on the sexual ethics. He doesn't go wishy-washy. He says, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, anyone who lusts with a person in their heart has already committed adultery. He'll be saying today, clean up your internet searches. Clean up the messages. Think about what's going through your mind after a pure heart and pure mind. You've heard it said, this is the standard. Well, I'm telling you, this is the standard, right? Be different, be light, be salt, 
right? Pagans greet their friends, but walk on the other side of the road, you know, with their awkward, you know, you've seen your enemies, you know, you have that awkward sensation, you see them walking up the road. Have you ever had that expression? You sort of feel awkward, yeah, I do, right? And then, well, Jesus is saying, this is an opportunity to show them love, smile, right? And you're right. Have, when was the last time you prayed for your enemies fervently in love, with love? This is the standard that Jesus gives. Right, the whole Sermon on the Mount, this entire Jesus manifesto, Jesus makes the difference between the world and its values and those that would join his movement. It is a counter-cultural movement that Jesus is aiming to build. It's radical in its breadth. Jesus brings up every area of life, and it's stunning in how high the standards, he said, it's eye-wateringly tough, the standards that Jesus brings. The Jesus Manifesto is a message that gives Jesus the values of those who will follow him that they're expected to embody and live out. The world does that, but if you are my disciples, you will instead do this. And lastly, the Jesus Manifesto is only able to be obeyed through the power of the Holy Spirit. The Sermon on the Mount is so radical, it's so hard to do in practice, that actually Christians over the centuries have asked, is this even doable? Do we, can we, isn't there like an opt-out clause for the Sermon on the Mount? So Albert Schweitzer, now Albert Schweitzer's a good guy, I'm not trying to knock him too much, but he had this commentator commentary which he popularised, there was other commentators before him, but he popularised it, that basically said, this was just for the first century Christians to obey, you don't really have to love your enemies, and you don't have to have a pure mind, this is just like, just, you know, don't worry about it, this is way too hard. Right, so Albert Schweitzer was saying, this is not for us to obey. And, and on the other hand, there are some commentators who've argued uh, that, that this is for everyone, we can just obey it, you know, you just, if, you're not, if you've just failed in anger or lust or whatever, we'll just try harder. Well, uh, uh, again, John Stott, if I can quote him, he's helped me out with a sermon, he's going to help me out with a sermon series a lot, says this. He says, both are wrong. Listen to what he says. For the standards of the sermon are neither readily attainable by everyone, nor, to nor totally unattainable by anyone. Right, let's pause on that. Let that sink in. To put them beyond anybody's reach is to ignore the purpose of Christ's sermon. Jesus wants you to obey this. Right? But to put them within everybody's reach is to ignore the reality of human sin. Do you get the tension there? Right? So for Jesus' manifesto is to be obeyed through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's accessible to those who are born again and filled with the Holy Spirit. The good I want to do, I cannot do. The bad things I don't want to do, they're addictive. So how do you break that? It is through the power of God being born again, a new creation. And the first part of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about blessed are the poor in spirit. It's for those who, who know they're morally and spiritually bankrupt. It's for theirs is the kingdom of God. Those are the ones who are blessed. Right? So having a 100% A game for moral purity 100% of the time, this is the standard. There is no other standard. This is only attainable to those who are poor in spirit, who mourn over their failures, who know they need God's help moment by moment. It is to these humble failures who grieve their inability in of themselves to live this ethic that the kingdom of God belongs to. They are the blessed ones. Right? So today, there are many ideologies out there. Right? Some of them, from my perspectives, to use the opening illustration, are mutations of Karl Marx. Right? The whole education system all over the place. Right? With the sexual identities, different groups fighting for power. Right? And there's this whole, all these ideologies out there in the world. And they have, uh, uh, they have uh, a value system. 
they, they aiming to give you an identity and a purpose and so forth. Well, so is the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus has put his manifesto and he's offering you an identity, part of his kingdom. He's offering you a value system and there's goals and purposes and a mission. And these are for radical tra internal transformation that will change the world. Uh, so he's effectively saying we have nothing to lose but our chains. We have a world to win. Jesus, that's what Jesus is promising us. We've got nothing to lose but our chains, but the chains are not economic privation. It's actually sin. And the world to win is that Jesus is promising that his kingdom and his values will go right around the world and will transform hearts. The question is, will it transform yours? Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we thank you for your word. And as we kickstart this series, sermon series, the Jesus Manifesto, I pray that, Lord, that our hearts would be transformed by your word and that, Lord God, that we would have, by the end of this sermon series, our lives would be different and better. This church would be more conformed by the power of the Holy Spirit to obedience for you. This is only achievable through the work you have done on the cross, dying for our sins, setting us free, filling us with your Holy Spirit, that we can so follow you. In Jesus' name. Amen.